Well, this quickly turned into one of my favorite episodes. And how about this? How 80% of business problems can be solved with this one thing. Do not be a victim of your tools. How about this? Learning how to never use email again in your business and how to get there. The four tools that every business needs. How to create freedom in your business and how meeting an 86-year-old woman at her house helped Ari discover the why in his business and make a big shift that helped him scale a seven-figure business with simplicity. So today we had one of my dear friends, Ari Mysel, who's the king of optimizing, automating, and outsourcing to talk about all of those things. Plus at the very end, he even has a hotline for Loveline for Business to help you with anything that you need. Uh, one of my favorite conversations, I had a few tears held back and I'm just glad to be able to share this with my friends. It's a conversation a lot of entrepreneurs need and we can help you automate the things that matter so you can do more of what you want to do and the world needs of you to do. So I'm going to shut up now. Let's get into the episode. I love you and I will see you guys on the inside. Welcome to the Mind of George show. This is a free for all Friday episode where just about anything can happen. I've had business leaders come on and share insider industry secrets. I've had monks and hypnotherapists come on, talk about mindset, discipline, the subconscious, and even swearing at me, which I never thought I would hear from a monk. Plus, I've had hours of spilling my deepest thoughts, fears, ideas, and everything in between the earlobes in my mind of George. But you can find all the episodes at mindofgeorge.com, and you never know what can happen on a free-for-all Friday. But one thing that can be guaranteed is it will either be eye-opening groundbreaking, or at the very least, entertaining. So let's open our minds and get into the show. Welcome back to a Free For All Friday, and I could not be more honored to have the yang to my yang, one of my dear friends, the guy who understands that relationships beat algorithms and helps you automate everything in the middle so that you can spend more time doing what you're supposed to be doing. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I have never met a man, and this man I love deeply, we'll get to him in a minute, that literally has more software and tool recommendations in his toolbox than anybody I know. He has a chronological list in his brain of probably 500 ways to solve every quote unquote challenge that we run into as entrepreneurs. And what I love about it is Ari, who we're going to talk to in a minute, doesn't come at it from a tool can solve your problem. He comes at it from, we have to understand what you need and where you're getting. And then let's pick the tools for the job to help you do more of what you need to do to be in relationships with the things that matter. And so you can do more with less and then go take a woodworking class like he's doing tonight. Right. Did I get it? Yeah, that's right. Man. Best intro I've ever heard. Thank you. So I'm good stoked to, to have you, man. I'm stoked to have you. It I is, love talking it is easy when we're friends and we spend numerous amount of conversations and times, even though I avoid being on your favorite platform in the world, which we'll get to in a lot. You know what? You know, I'll say this. I would make a comeback if we talked every day. I, I would literally, instead of iOS, I'll come back. I'll, I'll publicly make it right now. I'll come back just so we can talk more. Because I know, I know like iOS audio messages probably make your skin cringe and they, oh. ma they make mine too. So before we get into the show... <laughs> I have the one question that I ask everybody that sets a really kind of good context and you can answer this however you want. So you've been in business for a long time from real estate to kind of having an entrepreneurial brain your whole time to being an EMT and some of the other crazy things you do to running a team and doing intensives and doing all of it. But when you look back at that career, when you look back at from the beginning of Ari as an entrepreneur, what is the biggest mistake that you've ever made in business and what is the lesson that you learned that you bring forward with you every day? 
Wow. Oh, that's a great one. Well, I don't know if, it, if we call it the biggest mistake necessarily. I, I'll tell you this. I, I, I severely, strongly, vehemently wish that I had started therapy a lot younger. Yes. Uh, that would have been a big one. And, you know, there is, I went to the best business school in the world for undergrad, undergrad. I went to Warden, right? Which is the best in the world, right? And I, and I didn't get particularly good grades. I had a really interesting, good experience uh, there. And I had really great relationships with some of my professors. But uh, the the point, the point of that is that there's, there's so much advice, I feel like, that you get about business um, from so many different people. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm technically a millennial, right? But I'm like a Zennial. I was born in 1982. So the, the, the big thing that they say about Zennials is like we grew up analog and then like shifted into digital. So I've really seen a lot of that transformation. And so have you, obviously, of how social media really makes that even more and more, just worse. I think there's so much more bad advice out there than there is good. And also, a lot of the really great advice, the classically really great advice, I feel like it's not necessarily relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. And people still refer to that. So you're the, all that to say, like, you're, you're constantly bombarded with all this very bad information. And some people are better at discerning the good from the bad. My biggest problem, I can say, and I'm at, we'll probably get into this at some point, <laughs> is that it took me a very, very long time in my life, and I'm still doing it, to develop a true, like, core sense of self. Yeah. You know, to know that what was right, I, I always went with my gut and all sorts of things. Unfortunately, it led me to the right path most of the times. But I never really had this sort of guiding internal compass, uh, which I honestly, I feel like therapy would have really helped. So, yeah, yeah that's I, this is why I love that question. Like, I think, you know, one of the things you and I talk about a lot offline and, and I mean, we've had deep conversations and we've been around 50 entrepreneurs as we're helping them and like we're having they're all like, give me tools. And we're like, we're trying. <laughs> it's not the tool, right? Or you put me in front of a room and hand me a bottle of the wine and you start asking me questions and I start, you know, going off the top here. But with that, I, a few things that you said that I think are so, so, so important. Number one is, is really like discernment and understanding, you know, when you should let something in and when you should even have the space to let it in. Right. And then number two is like not going at this alone. Like I think, you know, for me, you and I talk a lot about this and we both do, you know, we both, you know, pursue therapy outside of it. We both pursue coaching and guidance and mentorship. And I think there's this thing with entrepreneurship and I hate the label. I like how Mike McCallowitz goes about it, calling a shareholder, but like you have to do it alone. Everybody does it themselves and you have to figure it out on your own. And, right. you know, I feel like, I was blessed to meet people like you and, and have some mentors that I have, but I've burnt my fair share of like bridges and, you know, I've trusted my gut that I've somehow ended up here positively, but I feel like it could have been here, you know, five years sooner. If, I don't know, maybe I listen to my wife, um, who's always right or something along those lines. Um, but, but with that, when, when you talk about this, you and I talk about, you know, protecting our containers. We're both actually moving right now. We're like, get us out of the hustle and bustle. We want to do less with more. How do you go about now looking at all the things that surround us, the bad advice, the distractions on social media, you know, all the bombardment of messages all day, right? Like I got Slack going off, Facebook Messenger going off, Instagram. I don't, I don't have those things anymore. My team does. But when you look at that, like how do you go about discerning that now in the place that you are? And then how would you do it differently if you went back? Yeah, sure. So... It's a, it's a, that's a, uh, 
there's a lot to unpack there. Totally. And uh, I will remember all of it. I'll guide you. Yeah. So first of all, one of the biggest things that I teach in my replaceable founder program is all about communication. And that sounds very sort of like nebulous, but the truth is that like, I feel like 80% of the problems that we see in businesses are around communication. And it's not, when I say communication, it's not like, you know, not pe people not being active listeners or that it really, there's, there's methods and means of communicating. And then also the way that we actually convey messages. So the three things there. one is that people generally, uh, in my experience, don't convey what success looks like when they're delegating and they don't convey realistic expectations when they're managing up or however you want to want to say it. And there's a myriad reasons why that happens, but that does happen. So that's, that's one of the big things. Uh, and then the way that we communicate. So fortunately COVID fortunately has, I think changed this quite a bit, but as you know, and as uh, I talk about all the time, asynchronous communication is like the, the the nuclear weapon in my arsenal like that is the most powerful thing that i have at my disposal voxer happens to be the tool that allows that to happen really efficiently but asynchronous communication as a idea is huge and unfortunately again we've had this sort of culture where so many people feel like you have to be synchronous to do certain things mm -hmm. now this is a great example of what we're doing right now where synchronous makes sense because we can really vibe off each other but Synchronous doesn't make sense when you have uh, a financial advisor who has to fly to London just to sit at a table to shake hands with the, the client, right? And we've seen so much of that. Now, again, less of that, fortunately, because of COVID, but it's still something that's just so ingrained in us. And then the third element there in, in, in communication is decision-making. And this is where it really gets troubling, I find, with all the information, all the social media and everything. Most people are not very good decision makers. Uh, and when I say not good decision makers, I don't mean that they're making the right decision. I mean that they're not effective in the decisions that they make. You know, so many people suffer from paralysis or analysis paralysis, right? And the other side of things is the people who are like the fly by the seat of their pants, you know, go with your gut. There's a balance in between there, I would say, uh, that a lot of people really struggle to find. So when we're presented with all this information and all these different things coming at us from email, Slack, text messaging, and all the social media and all that kind of stuff. Most people, most, most, most people, and I would say like 99% of people, whether it's conscious or not, they approach those tools as if they were almost like a victim yeah. of them, right? It's just a necessary evil to live in the world. We have to experience these things. We have to put up with it and take our beating basically. But what people have to understand is no matter what level of life you're at or business, these are your tools to communicate with your world in the way that you see fit. And having that somewhat subtle shift of understanding that can have really, really powerful implications. So email is a really good example of this. Uh, email is a unique experience that most people, so when I speak around, the, when I used to speak around the world, I'd always like to ask people, what's your biggest productivity challenge? And the number one question, the number one answer that always came up was email. That was the number one productivity challenge. And the email problem is not an email problem. It's a decision-making problem. And if you think about it, your inbox, and you can use your inbox to represent you know, Slack, Facebook, whatever you want, is a very unique opportunity in your day to make thousands of decisions, right? We don't really have that in any other place. And most research tells us that the average person is good for about 24 decisions in a day. So what if you didn't have email? 
You know, and I, I, there's there's very few topics that get me really riled up uh, productivity-wise. Email is one of them. Yep. And the biggest one is when you see people post on Facebook, they're like, oh, I, I, you know, I really want to have a VA that can manage my inbox. Anybody have recommendations? And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you know, first of all, it's to that's so demeaning to another person. You know, like it, it, that's, that's to me, th that visual of that is somebody who's sitting in their kitchen with their feet up, like doing their nails, eating, you know, something chocolate. And they send someone out to get their mail from the, uh, the box, the uh, post box and bring it in. It's like, you look through it and they're like, oh, well, there's a gift certificate or there's a coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, that's totally worth five minutes of your brain to to do that for me because I can't manage my own shit. Yeah. Right. So the idea there is either manage it well, and there's all ways of doing that. And I have one. There's other people that tell you how to manage email, or don't have email. Yeah. You know, it, rather than say, oh, uh, you know, my assistant's going to download it, or whatever. Say, I don't have email. If you want to get in touch with me, you can call me, or you can email my assistant directly. Because what also ends up happening is you have people who have their assistants managing their inboxes yep. without necessarily telling people. And then it's just this broken barrier of trust that can't be recouped. So to me, that is like to have somebody else manage your email is such a lazy cop out kind of a thing. Yeah. Because you, why don't you just have the balls to say, I'm not going to have email. Yeah, no, and and I think I think that that's such a, a hot button, right? Because you, you said a few things. Number one, like don't be a victim of your tools. What we forget is it's our house. And I've used this analogy before. I'm like, you would never let somebody walk in your front door, sit down at your dinner table and insult you and let them stay in there, right? And I was like, so don't do it online. Like these are your house, your rules, your container. You're just using a tool to get there, but it's yours. And I think that that's really a hot, hot thing to understand. And, and what you said that really, really a few things, number one, um, the communication part, I feel like for me personally, every time I struggled with email was number one, it was ineffective communication, right? Like I was sending messages to send messaging or it was like always open loops back and forth, right? Nothing clear getting there. Um, it was replaced. It was basically a tool to be lazy, right? Because I didn't want to pick up the phone or I didn't want to just take two minutes to come up with a solution. So I was like, oh, it's in my inbox. Let me just fire off a quick response. And then when they respond again, I will yeah, handle exactly. it. Put it right. back in their court. Put it back in their court, right? Like we're volleying back and forth of like, yes, let's play tennis. Um, and then three was this belief that like we had to have email. Like we had to have email. And what's really interesting is like, you know this tool, but I use Superhuman for my inbox, right? That's I love it. It's amazing. But I basically spent a couple days cleaning everything up and doing it. I get less than three important emails a day. Less than three. Like literally less than three now. And so when I look at my inbox now, I open it and on my primary tab, it's like my wife's like, hey, I need you to remember to reschedule this. And then like one of my lost friends is like, hey man, I forgot to send this to you. And then there's like one like billing thing and everything else isn't there. And so I think that that one is, is probably one of the biggest ones because it's the same thing that I see. And it's funny too, what, what happens in front and behind behind the scenes of companies, what I see people struggle with is like, how do I write emails to my customers? Like they struggle with it on that side, but then they're also a slave to their inbox and think they need emails on the other side. And so I think that that's one of the best ways. So then everyone's going to be like, all right, Ari, fine. I don't want my fucking inbox anymore. What do I do? 
Right. Okay. Well, so, and, and you pointed out something really good there, you know, you're getting all, you're getting very few emails and I am too. I mean, honestly, the majority of the emails I get are from school. I have yeah. know, four kids, four kids in two different schools, four different classes. There's like two newsletters every week and then one with photos. It, it, that, that's like the majority of what it is. Um, so if you had a boat that was leaking water into the boat, right? And you have a bucket and you're trying to like catch the water in the bucket. At that point, is it like, oh, no, no, I just need more buckets, uh, you know, more email folders. That's what I need. That, that'll, that'll solve this problem. Um, oh, no, no. You know what it is? I need a bigger bucket. I know it's heavier, but I need a. No, stop the fucking leak. You know, it's like fix the problem before it gets to the inbox. The inbox is just a container. As you said, you know, you need to fix the, the problem is upstream. Right. Totally. So you, you, you have to, first of all, separate communication to different methods. So this is this is a big one where I, a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, I have, take a very different stance from a lot of other productivity kind of people. Um, I actually think that you should have more communication tools rather than less, but they need to have specific purposes and you need to be intentional about what they're for. So if you're going to use Slack, that's fine, but don't use Slack for project management. No. Don't do what a lot of people do, which is have these these shared Slack channels with clients, right? So that you're talking to your team and your clients in the same place. Bad idea. Yeah. Um, and email should never, ever be used for internal communication because it's really just not designed for that. So you should never, ever look in an email, in my opinion, and open your inbox and be like, there might be a message from someone on my team. That shouldn't be a thing, right? So if we reduce the number of emails or the number of well, if, if we reduce the dependence on email to begin with by using other tools for other kinds of things, we're going to reduce the number of emails to begin with. And then it becomes much more appropriate for our brains because the typical inbox, you know, is like super important email, kind of important email, total junk, total junk, super important email, junk, spouse, you know, and that kind of rapid switching back and forth just does not work for the human brain, which is why most people end up just saying like, oh, I'm out, you know, like I can't, I can't manage this anymore. Yeah. And then, so, you, and then you end up with 26,000 unread emails that I've seen and it gives me anxiety. So w what you said, I want to unpack this one a little bit because this one was really good. You said you got to go upstream and fix it. Right. And so for me, when we think about email, so just if everybody can catch it, I, I stole this from Ari. I say this in every single consulting trip that I do. Um, email is for external only and Slack is for internal or another messaging app. But I, I want, everybody to understand that they're just messaging. Like you said, they're not project management. They're not, here's my to-do list. There's not go pick me up coffee on the side of the street. Like there's, you know, you have to understand what you use the tools for, right? If you're like, oh, I'm going to drive my kids to school. You're not going to get on your bicycle with your basket in a snowstorm. You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive them. Great. That's a great image. Uh, so they're, they're basically what I always say is that there are four tools that a minimum four tools that every company should have. And by the way, you mentioned, you know, Lindsay emailing you, Anna and I box. So yeah. I got her on Voxer finally, which has been amazing. And I, she's the only person on my Voxer that is on the walkie talkie setting. So when she sends me a message, it just starts talking like an old Nextel. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's four tools at minimum. One, and so one is for casual conversation. Second one is for procedural information. Third one is for bridging internal and external. And fourth one is for things that need to get done. So I mean, I'll break that down for a second. So the first one's casual. For me, that's Voxer, right? So you need to have a tool in your company, this is, this is for in the company, where you can talk freely, right? And whatever that looks like. For some people, maybe that's WhatsApp. Maybe that's Slack. For some people, it sort of depends on the culture and who the people are and if they like texting or voice, whatever. 
Um, there's also like Marco Polo, which is like Voxer with video. Mm. So uh, they need a tool for casual conversation, something that is unstructured where people can emote a little bit maybe, and also feel like they have a space where they can come converse about things. It's kind of like the digital water cooler, if you will. The second one is for procedural information, and that's usually going to be Slack. Again, it doesn't have to be, but usually it is. And procedural information for me is the stuff that people just got to know, right? So like you'd post a Slack message being like, hey, everybody, our next workshop is going to be on December 14th. You know, who's going to be there or whatever? Um, or, uh, you know, this is uh, what does everyone want for lunch? You know, like very really transactional information, for lack of a better word. The third one is something that bridges the internal versus external. Because if we're going to tell you, if I'm telling you that email should not be used internally, the natural question that most people have then is what happens if I get an email from a client that I need to show to a, uh, a team member, right? Which we see all the time. Some clients pissed off. They forward an email. You forward that to the boss, to the customer <laughs> service, right? It's like <laughs> you're just ducking getting punched in the face by letting somebody else get hit. Exactly. Exactly. And, and also, I, I've, I've seen far too many companies where it's common practice for an assistant or um, a, a direct report to CC the boss on every email. Yes. Mind blowing. But, and so uh, for that, I like things like intercom or front, you know, or drift, like a lot of those common sort of shared team inbox tools. Now that's, it's still, it's, it's email in that case, but you're not creating email to converse about it internally. And the fourth tool is a place where things get done. So this is technically a project management tool. And for me, that's always going to be Trello, but it could be anything. But the reason that that's part of the communication sort of SOP is that when you're discussing something in any of those other tools, as soon as it becomes something that needs to get done or a project or an action or something like that, it needs to leave the communication setting and go into that project management setting. And that's where you converse about it further, because what we don't want to see ever is a Slack channel where somebody's like, here's the new flyer for our event. You know, what do you guys think? And somebody's like, oh, I don't like the font. And this person's like, well, I don't like that color. And then the fourth person's like, hey, what are we getting for lunch? Yeah. You know, so like it just, it, that's not where it belongs. Project man Projects need to be managed in project management settings. So it's part of the conduit of the communication tools. And just those four things alone massively reduces your dependence on email. Yeah, I love it. And so that pulled, uh, that closed the loop for me, but my Zygarnik effect is going nuts on this one. So the upstream one that I was going with, and I just want to plug this, um, the part of, you know, not using email and you say going upstream, I think one of the defaults is, is emails, the new business card, right? Like I'll give you my business card. I'll give you my email, send me an email, send me an email, send me an email, something that I see a whole lot of, even like when you and I are traveling or we go keynote, everyone's like, you don't, right? But like, I used to just give out my email, give out my email, give out my email because I was like, oh, it'll prevent me from getting in, send me these details. But there's a thousand different ways to do that a lot more effectively. And now I still get emails from people like four years ago that I don't remember. I don't remember why we met. And so I think, you know, when we go upstream there, I think taking the time for me, and I'm going to say this very, very publicly, <laughs> taking the time to realize like, is this a relationship that's going to serve me and serve them? Like, does it even get to the email or like, should it be somewhere else? Like now my default is like, Hey, just add me on Facebook. You know, we'll get connected at some point, right? Like just add me on Facebook. But I think really understanding that like your inbox is your home and it's like, everybody doesn't get to come get a room in your house. Like you have to protect it. 
you have to protect it before it becomes a, how do I get everybody back out? But going all the way up, we got to be really careful. Like when we think about like our business cards, like we think about our websites, like everybody throws their email out. Like it's out there and I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, you might as well just do your phone number. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do my phone number. I'm like, well, don't do your email either. Right. And so I think, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So <clears throat> for, for a very long time, well, I mean, I guess I would still do it, but I don't have the team now for it. Uh, so we've had OAO at lessdoing.com since for years now, which is, you know, optimize, automate, outsource. That's my system. But that's sort I, know, of like, I know not everybody else does. Right. So you have, you know, I have like info at, right, or help at, but these sort of general inboxes, it's very obvious from the name that is not a person specifically, right? So OAO at lessdoing.com would always go into intercom, which, you know, at the peak of it, I had a seven person team and every one of them was an intercom so they could answer that. So I, I gave out that email freely all the time, whenever I spoke or anything, I, I never gave out my personal email. And it wasn't even because like, I'm protecting it necessarily. Although, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but it was more that that's, that's not where that communication happens for me. Right. Yeah. So it's like, here's, you know, everybody email me OAO at lessdoing.com, send in your questions. Somebody from the team will get back to you. Maybe I'll get back to you uh, personally, but that's, uh, that's the best way to reach us at this point. Yeah. Right. So that's one. Th and, and again, I don't know why people have such a hard time with being like, no, you, you know, you can't email Dan at Goldman Sachs.com, but you can email Dan's assistant at Goldman Sachs.com and she'll let me know or he'll let me know whatever it is that I need if that's how you want to reach me. Yeah. You know? so and I think, I think too, like it's almost like we've just accepted that, you know, business dealings and, you know, um, communicating with people and networking has to go that way. And it doesn't always have to go that way. And I think that that is such a powerful way to think about it. And so I'm going to ask you how you get people to hold you in a second because we don't wait till the end of the episode. But one of the things that I started doing, and for those of you understanding, Ari and I are like really dear friends and on similar paths, but we don't talk as much. So I'm updating him as we speak on the podcast. One of the things that you know I used to do and I used to do really well is I would give a keynote. And at the end of the keynote, I would come and I would answer questions. I'd have him send me a personal email. And I mean, I closed multiple seven figures of deals that way because it was so it was such a different thing and then I started thinking about it and I was like is there a better way to do it and then I realized that if I just have a vanity URL that goes to an intake form and they give me the same information that they were going to send me via email I get an email with the summary but then I choose like how to reach out I can hit them up on my calendar link I can decide if it's a good fit and so I think for me one of the things that I always think about is how can I always move something one more level upstream to prevent it from getting downstream? Like, can I get a phone number? And so like for me, when like somebody gives me their phone number, they're like, can I have your number? I'm like, yeah, I literally stand there with them and I record a video in front of them, sending them a video with their face in it. So I have it at the beginning of the text message. If I ever forget what was there or what context was I'm like, Hey, let's do it right That's now. I'm like, and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to send you a video right now. Like, yeah, I'm like, and you're in it. Why'd we meet? How are we here? Let's go. And I was like, see this? And I was like, oh, and here's your thumbnail. And I'll like pose for a selfie. But then I'll have it. Like, I'll get a random text, like, you know, six months later, and I'll just scroll right to the beginning. I'm like, oh, that's who it was, right? And I'm still figuring out ways. But I think, I think what you said, and this is to close it all the way back, like, don't be a victim of your tools, right? Like, just because they are that way right now doesn't mean they always have to be that way. And I think there's two ways to go about it. One is like, what you have is what you have, but you have to figure out now, how do you optimize, optimize, automate and outsource that and build that the best. But then the, the next question I always ask people is how do you go one step up to prevent that from happening again? 
And how do you go one step up to prevent that from happening again? And so I just think it's a really good topic. I don't know. That's just any other thoughts on that one? Because I love your brain when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, so there, there are a few things. Uh, one is that people, when they're in it, you know, and they're overwhelmed. So overwhelm is like a very specific yeah. state, right? And for a long time, I've sort of have been known as the overwhelmologist, right? Uh, the extreme state of overwhelm that we see, that I see, is when people get to a situation where they feel like no matter what they do, they're going to disappoint someone. Yes. And that could be that they're going to disappoint their clients, their team, their family, their friends, themselves. But no matter what you do, it's like a there's someone's going to get screwed over, right? And that's a really dark place to be. Um, and we see it all the time. And the, the sort of natural human response to that is to just keep digging right like we can just keep going in those situations and hopefully it'll get better maybe not but eventually you just get into the state where you're overwhelmed and the biggest thing with the overwhelm is that you just can't see the forest for the trees you know actually i, I always like to say you you can't read a label from inside the jar right i've said so, that so many times in the last like three weeks it's mind-blowing <laughs> i love it it's a great expression uh and so if you if you're in that state, right, you're just you're just treading water, right? So like you're you're doing the the prescriptive, the boring, the uh, the minutia, and you're just dealing with whatever sort of comes your way and like hoping that it'll it'll maybe get better. To do the upstream thing, honestly, like it does take an effort, you know, and it does take you like sidestepping. And um, who uh, what's his name that does the uh, Masters of Scales? Um, Reed Pomp, Reed Hoffman, who's who founded um founded LinkedIn, he says some of the, you know, the people always talk about putting out fires, right? He said, but the best entrepreneurs sometimes let fires burn. And you have to be willing to do that if you're going to make a change sometime. Now, that's not the case for everybody. Some people, it's a little bit easier to sort of sidestep that and, and make that shift. But for other people, you're going to have a big dip in income, right? You might have a, a, a hit to your reputation, right? But ultimately, you're going to end up having more control over what you do. And Control is the antidote to overwhelm. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, it was driving me nuts. My brain, the, it was, uh, I couldn't remember the name of it because I literally just read an article. The sunk cost fallacy was what I was thinking about. The, yeah. you know, and, and there's a, I'm like, obviously, actually, since I've seen you, I read a lot now. You should be proud of me. I read like 60 books a year now. Just, wow. just, so every, just so everybody knows, when I met Ari, I was like, what are books? Why do you need books? I don't read books. And he's like, read mine. Yeah. And I actually read Ari's book, but I didn't, I didn't read books. But you know, one of the things I've understood, and, and this is an undertow of everything that you've said, which is why I think it's so important. Like we, in the beginning of this, like it's us, we're the ones driving the car. We're the ones of like, oh, we're going to let somebody down. We're the ones that are letting our tools become like our, our master and us the slave of them. Like it's us and it's us and it's us. And there's that level of awareness that we have to get to, which what we talked about is like surrounding yourself with people, good people that see you and don't have it. And the, and the sunken cost one is a big one. And Jonah Berger talks about this a lot because when you are in something and the thought or the, the path out seems so overwhelming, it's outside of your zone of acceptance. Any evidence that even would be supportive actually makes you more reactive and dig in even deeper because it just feels so much harder. And so you push and you push and you push and you push. And so what I love that you said, and I'm going to go all the way back to your asynchronous communication, is that 
the biggest benefit of asynchronous communication is that it's not right now. It's when you choose for it to be. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts of entrepreneurs is like always giving ourselves the space and the time. And I say this to my students all the time. It's like, you would be hard pressed to find me one thing that happens in your business. That's actually life or death. It's not going to happen in the next 30 seconds. Like you are not going to go out of business in the next one minute. The IRS is not coming to seize your accounts 37 seconds from now. Like the FBI is not at your front door, even though it feels like that, (laughs) it's not happening. And what I love about what you teach and what you do with asynchronous communication, and then I'm going to close this all the way back to the beginning, is that what it, it tends to do if we're intentional is it allows us to practice creating an identity of self. It allows us to create that space of like, okay, I don't have to respond to that Vox right now. I don't have to get into my inbox right now. I don't have to get those Facebook messages right now. My phone's not ringing right now. And it is that pause button to kind of let things settle. And I think one of the biggest gifts in what you do is like you have to get to a point where everything you do is intentional. And it's not intentional for being reactive to it. And so I think it's really, 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 really important. And I don't think it's talked about a lot. Like I've learned probably 90% of my efficiency on like back end business management from you. Like it's hilarious. Like I have a channel on my Slack called Water Cooler because of you. Like I was like, screw it. We're just going to call it the water cooler. In our mastermind, it's our come bullshit here. Like, what do you want to talk about? How was your day? And then we have these things. But it really, really is interesting over the years of knowing you. And I, I it's been a while. I don't even know at this point. Um, these little things that have come in that have made it like really, really easy. But really what you've helped me buy back is space. And with that space the work of becoming self and then being the person who's driving the race car because in business, what scares me for most people, I'm going to get emotional, but we're both past this point now. But what scares me for most people is I'd spent most of my life in my career thinking that I was in the driver's seat, but my fears and insecurities were in the driver's seat and I was just strapped in holding on in the passenger seat. Me too. And communication and inefficiencies were what was destroying me. Right, because I was like, "Oh, the world is ending. What am I going to do? Things are down, sales are down. like, you can't read it from the inside of the jar, right? Like, I had to pull the. Also, how else were you going to feel important, right? Totally. And you and I have cried about this together. I was like, "Hurry, nobody loves me because I didn't win the game." And he's like, "Bro, you doubled their company." I was like, "But it wasn't triple." Yeah, like, like legitimately. And so I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing this, and we are nowhere near done. But I'm summarizing this because I want everybody to understand that, like, at the end of the day, it's us. Like we talk about like space for our worth. We talk about the ability for us to make decisions. Like we're the ones, we're the entrepreneurs, we're the, we're the people, we're the decision makers. And we have to have the space to do that. And we have to have tools in place that allow us to use them. But how, I don't even, serendipitous that right before this, I recorded a podcast that came out before this called tools (laughs) and a tool doesn't build a house. The person who picks up the tool builds the house and you can't use two hammers at one time right? It, effectively, right? But you also have to realize the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And so like, when we think about everything you've said already, like you have to be able to understand what the outcome is. You have to be able to set expectations and then you have to be able to make decisions. But I think the one secret that I think the power of automations creates is space. And I think it's the lost gift of entrepreneurs is space. It's a really, it's a really poignant way of putting it. I, I, I agree. Uh, and you know, it's, I know we're going to get into this, but the relationship versus algorithms idea, like 
so many people when I talk about automation, I mean, you see it all the time, but people always assume that automation, like, so I'll start talking about some really cool automation or something. And then yeah. somebody in the audience will be like, yeah, but I don't want to lose that human touch. And it's like, well, I agree. I, this is making it so that I can have the human touch more and that I can answer my own you know, messages and that I can respond to Facebook comments if I want to and or not if I don't, you know. And so there's just so many false beliefs about how these things work and what they can and can't do. Uh, and then we build this like wall around ourselves, too, that makes it so unique. Right. And so irreplaceable not to not to you know use my vernacular go, here go but for it the there, there's a uh, pretty much one thing that i took away not took away but that i remember from college and that's not because i was drinking it's just because i wasn't paying attention <laughs> um I, I had a professor who used to say uh never be irreplaceable because if you can't be replaced you can't be promoted yep and a lot of people you know maybe entrepreneurs don't think about them being self being promoted but uh, moving on to a new company, getting the car that you always wanted, if that's important to you, or having moving, having a new baby, right? Those are all promotions for an entrepreneur. And if you make yourself irreplaceable, it's very, very difficult and not impossible to do those things. So we create all these falsitudes around us, right? That are then reinforced by everything that we see online. And, and, it's it's sad and a lot of, it really is and uh, I think it gets in the way of a lot of really really good ideas too. So as much as I, I love it when people are like self-proclaimed like disruptors, you know, or their innovation is their biggest strength, and they're just doing the exact same thing that everybody's been doing for twenty years, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm not saying that like I'm some trailblazer either. That's not the point here. But it, it it's so easy to just fall into these grooves, fall into these roles. And then tell ourselves that that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself on a on a platter here just because I think it's an important talking point that you can talk to. One of one of the things that you just said that's been a thread for me, you know, and I've been doing this, I think a, about eleven years now, right? So not my first rodeo. You <laughs> feels like yesterday, but like as I do it, one of the reasons that I was afraid of automating is because with automations, I actually had to measure. And if I had to, and if I had to measure, I couldn't hide in busy work anymore, which means I actually would have been successful because I would have had to look at what I was doing, figure out where my time was being spent. What of what I was doing was actually moving the needle and what was just wasting a shit ton of time. And then I hid in this wall, like I hid in this place and I had the story, right? I was like, nobody can be me. I'm me, right? And then at the end of the day, you know, like now hindsight being 2020, I come back down to like clockwork from McAllowitz or there's no plan B for your A game by Bo Eason, right? And I start picking it out and all of us are or all of us do have a gift. We all have something that we we lean towards. There's a proclivity for us in that comfort zone. But we have to be able to measure and be replaceable in order for it to happen. And whether you're replacing yourself to buy more time to only work two hours a day or one hour a day, or just not to have an inbox anymore or to, you know, not do communication. And, and like for everybody listening, like for me this year, like this year was a gift for me. I launched a podcast that I waited nine years for. And now we're on 100, I think you're episode 103, 104. I don't know, like where did that come from? But then like the biggest thing is, is like I'm bored a lot because I don't have access to my website. I don't have access to 1Password anymore. I don't know how to get into any of my stuff. I feel really vulnerable. 
at times. And then at the same time, and I was like, good, now go do something different, right? You're not there. And like now, this is what's hilarious to me. Like the ultimate goal was realized faster than possible because I did one thing I never thought I would do. I think you'll appreciate this. Going back to that conversation of like, but I'm not important. I'm important. I don't want to let somebody down. So it was like a month ago and I was like busy. Lindsay had just, um, we were dealing with some personal stuff. And so I wasn't working a lot. And I looked at my Facebook and I do a lot of communication on Facebook master. I love it. It's where I build relationships. It's where I nurture. You're a Voxer, right? Yeah. Um, except I don't have to listen to people ramble for 12 minutes and then try to disseminate through what that was. And so <laughs> I looked at it and I fell behind and I was on top of it, but I had like 180 unread messages. 180 of them and I was like oh man and I was like and I kept putting it off and putting I'm like I'm, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it I'm doing it and then I had like probably 400 Facebook notifications and I was like I gotta know what they said I gotta know what they comment and I'll never forget this I made a conscious decision to come in one day and I sat down at my computer and I marked all as red and I cleared every notification and I was like I get to be human I don't have to be a robot I don't have to be perfect I just get to be human that day changed everything in our company like two months ago to where now I don't have logins to Instagram. I don't have logins on social. I don't check it. I don't do messages. I don't have any project management stuff. I sit down on my computer and I have one Slack message every morning that says, Hey, this is what needs recorded by when, where it's going. Here's your schedule. Have a good day. And then it normally ends with when you're done, don't message us, go work out, go spend time with your family, go do something. And it all came from that day. Like literally I look back at that day and it was like this, it felt like this ego death and defining moment of like, wait, but I'm the guy who responds to everything. And then after I did it, my team's like, well, we responded the other day. Like, I don't know what you're worried about. Like you just have this FOMO, like you're going to miss a comment or something like that. But then it was in that moment that I realized that like, there was a sea of notifications from like four days ago, five days ago that everybody already forgot about 37 seconds later. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> there's no way of getting them all. But like, it was a big deal for me. It was a really, really, really big deal for me to be like, fuck sure. it. Here we go. And now though, I'm bored. Just quite frankly, I'm just bored. I'm bored because like I know what moves the needle and I have to do it. And then I have to go find a hobby like wood lathing tonight that you're going to or walking or meditating more. You know, first of all, there's a, there's something to be said for boredom. <laughs> totally. I mean, you have kids, you know, like... Yeah, there is no boredom. I need boredom. <laughs> right. Yeah, boredom is a is a great thing. I think boredom is where a lot of really good ideas come from. Honestly, and you, so you, you, you pointed out something really, really interesting and really important for people to uh, focus on for a second. Entrepreneurship, I feel like so often is about freedom. You know, a lot of people become entrepreneurs because they want freedom. Uh, and in the, a lot of cases, it's freedom from something, right? Freedom from the, the job, freedom from debt, freedom from... Uh, the grind, whatever you want to call it. And that is what's known as the negative liberty, right? So freedom from something. But ultimately what we really want, I think, as entrepreneurs and as people is to have the freedom to do something, right? Which would be a positive liberty, freedom to move towards something. And ultimately what the freedom that I hopefully provide people in our program is the freedom to leave the business, right? And not leave forever um, unless they want to but leave uh so that they can go out and explore and learn and then bring those learnings back and contribute back into the company and while they were gone the company continues to grow in their absence right 
that's what we should all want. And that's clearly what you've, you've achieved now at this point. The, the message from the person basically telling you, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, have a good day, go work out with your family. That's, uh, that's almost like you have this, there's a voice inside all these entrepreneurs that are like, don't tell me what to do. You know, (laughs) I don't, I I want my freedom. But we, 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 it doesn't work that way as human beings. You know, I always say this, right. It's great to be thinking outside the box, but there still needs to be a box. Right. We don't do well. We don't do well with unlimited resources. Innovation doesn't happen there. Um, It's actually one of the reasons why, like, I will not work with venture backed companies. Um, I I think that, I think it makes them lazy and complacent. You can, you know, I know anyone hearing that's going to get pissed off, but it's true. Uh, Bootstrapping is where it's at. Innovation comes from that. And this example that I always give, but I think it's just the best one, is nobody ever said to MacGyver, hey, Angus, there's a Home Depot across the street. Grab a shopping cart, whatever you need, and go across the street and blow up that building. Right? It was always like, here's a paperclip and a box of Bisquick. Now go blow up the building. Like, that's where innovation comes from, from restrictions, not from this idea of freedom that everyone has where you just do, do whatever you want, whatever you want, because you get bored. Right. And a lot of times, a lot of times, as you well know, whether you're an entrepreneur who has a past with various different issues, which we know a lot of them do and a lot of us do boredom is a very dangerous place for those people. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we need a box. It's okay to step outside of it. We need to have the box. We need to know where we need to know where we stand. It's a, it's the same idea in like yoga of proprioception, right? You need to know, you need to have a sense of where your body is in space because if you don't, you freak the fuck out. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I said this, I said this on a podcast a couple months ago. Somebody said this to me on a podcast the other day, but as entrepreneurs, as, as humans in, in my experience, I spent most of my career trying to avoid being in a relationship with the one person I'm guaranteed to spend the rest of my life with, which was me. (laughs) And then I would create this space and then I would fill it. And then it would be this like never ending cycle. And it's something I still see to this day. We have really tight containers and like my team has carte blanche permission to tell me to F off. And they are very clear that I work for them and not the other way around. Like (laughs) there is no, no divisiveness of power here. Like I am not the boss. I am, I'm, I'm, I literally see myself as an employee and I was like, tell me what to do. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Like I, all of you help me do this. Like, tell me when to open my mouth, stick a quarter in it and tell me to go and for how long and then double it. Cause I'm going to go no matter what. And it, it's really, really powerful. But w- what I've had to really, really spend time with isn't who am I? It's who do I want to be in that space? And this is going to get really like non-duality, esoteric, like quantum mechanics, quantum physics-y. But it really, really what that box, as you said, it's given me is given me the space to figure out my self-worth. And there's only two options. It's either distract myself with, you know, dopamine or working out or eating or busy work or lean into it with boredom, i.e. space, and really reflect on like who do I want to be? Like this trap of like – as an entrepreneur, Jamie Smart covers this in a book called The Little Book of Clarity. It's toxic thinking. Well, I'll be with my family when, and I'll spend time doing that when, and I'll start doing this when, and I'm like, but when never happens, that's the trap, right? Like life is happening. Like we are dying moment to moment to moment. And it's like, if you ask your three-year-old, mine's four now and 15, 
And it's like, hey, do you guys want me to play with you in three years or now? And they're like, now, right? And that's that's the only now that we get. And you have four kids. I almost introduced you as the guy who had a a, a group a sports team living in his house, uh, but I couldn't think of a sport with four. And I was like, oh, but with you guys, you have a basketball team. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And I I think it's really really powerful just to even have these conversations, like just to raise the awareness of like, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Like you talk about worth in the beginning, talk about being replaceable, which is an absolute gift, right? And, and by the way, the, the other side of that is also supporting your employees and your team to leave, like helping them that's so good that they leave or so good that they promote. Like that, that's the other side of this, but you have to be in that same bucket to be able to do it. And you know, the, the thing that, I think the dangerous part of me, and I've seen this too, by the way, with not all venture back companies, but I've had very similar similar experiences in my consulting career. One of the things that I run into, Ari, and I think you might be able to speak to it and maybe just summarize because you've covered it, but I think a summary is here is that I've gone in and helped people with efficiencies and like freed up a million dollars a month in capital or freed up like 17 employees of time, right? But then within 30 days, it's all full again with what we did and then everything just starts to break. And so it's one of those things that like, that's the, the double-edged sword of like automation is like, you have to have that measure. And I say to people, like people misinterpret me, but I'm like, success is boring. It's supposed to be, you know, like it, success doesn't come from getting fucking dopamine hits every day. And like, as Jeff Spencer says to us, right? Like Olympians are Olympians because they train at 70% every day until it matters. They have temperance. And I look at it and automations allow us to do it. Um, but I think it, it, to close everything you said in the beginning, like this level of intentionality, like what are we doing? You know, why are we doing? What's the measure? How can we handle this? Like there's no accidents in any of this. How do we be replaceable? And then in that space, how do we figure out who we want to be? Maybe pick up a fucking hobby, do something. But I think that that's the part that scares me because I, I remember like I would automate, you know, everything. <laughs> And then I would create more space and create more space and, and we're good. But I think it's something that comes up for people because there's this fear of like, how do I automate this? And then I have to measure it. And if I measure it, then it's there and what's not there. becomes real, right? Yeah. 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 It, yeah. That's what it is. It's like a dose of reality. It's like taking the red pill. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, and I feel like it's actually more so the case than when you actually when you hire a team. You know, some people maybe before it would have been like, oh, I've got five people working for me. Like now, this is real. But no, I feel like actually it's when you set up the systems and processes, right? That's when it becomes real, real. Like in some ways, because uh, not that I'm a I'm not a fan of like Infusionsoft by any means, but you have to invest a significant yeah. a significant amount of money in you know a tool like that. Obviously, time and money and energy and every and and just dollars. Uh, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, wow, we've made it, you know, <laughs> we need infusion stuff now or Salesforce, something like that. Um, so a lot of those tools, I think, do and, well. And also just logistically, right? Like you don't, you can get away with, uh, you know, doing your own QuickBooks for 40 bucks a month when you're small, but when you get bigger, you need to hire an accountant. You need to use a system or you, you have to have methods. You actually have to keep track of things, right? So uh, yeah, a lot of those, I think, make it more real. And it's a very, very good point that you're making about, uh, you know, then you have to measure things, right? And actually know whether or not you're successful. Uh, and you, you you touched on something that that I want to address. Well, there's two things that actually just made me think of that I want to address. So the first one is that I'd like to point out to people, right? That a lot of, the, none of what I'm saying and none of what I'm hearing George saying either is that like there's a, there's a good and a, or a bad to this necessarily. It's really just about knowing 
what's right for you. Yeah. Um, so I, I did a consulting job. Actually, I think it was my last big consulting job where I did a full day. And then I told the guy I didn't want to come back and gave him back $75,000. Because uh, <laughs> I said I didn't want to travel anymore. But it was a really interesting company doing $20 million a year and really successful. And the founder, the CEO was a really big personality and he loved it and he lived it. And he was very, honestly, it was very real. Everything that he did on social media, like that's what he was like in person. And his wife, he was having some struggles with his wife who was also running a very, very successful company. And he, it was creating issues with their marriage, not surprisingly. And he gave me the whole sort of story. And I looked at him and I was like, she's just not a wartime CEO, which is fine, you know, but don't try to make her. You are, she's not. And these are different kinds of situations, you know? So, and that was really clarifying for them. And they, so they, you have to know that about yourself, first of all, the way that you lead and who you are as a leader, right? And not just spouting off something that you read in a, you know, um, how to be rich or whatever kind of book. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to just point out too, is that anybody, you know, this is your audience, obviously, George, so they, they, I'm sure they know you better, but it, it, some people might listen to this and think like, it's really easy for George and I to talk about this, uh, and being bored and picking up a hobby and stuff because we're successful. Right. <laughs> so I have a couple things to say about that. One, yes, I'm very successful and I have been very successful at different times. I've also been you know, 23 and in $3 million of debt, but that's not my story about how I clawed my way back from that. The thing to keep in mind here is that again, about knowing yourself, if you really want to make sacrifices, right, then move someplace where the cost of living is cheaper, right? Like, <laughs> It's not a sacrifice to kill yourself by working 20 hours a day. That's not sacrificing yourself. That's just being stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, the, you know, I live, I live in Brooklyn with my four kids. We have an apartment that's very nice. We also have a house in the country that's very nice. Uh, but we're going to be moving out of this city for a number of different reasons. And it just so happens that the place that we're moving, has the, the cost of living is like a quarter of what it is here. So give up, you know, the scene. Right. And you don't need to have a really nice car now. Maybe at some point you do, although I have a whole other issue with that too. But if you truly want to like sacrifice for your vision and your cheat, your then move somewhere cheaper. Like that's, that's the sacrifice, you know? So it, it doesn't require, like I have, again, I have a family of six. We don't need millions of dollars. We don't need many hundreds of thousands of dollars, honestly, to live the lifestyle that we live. I drive a five-year-old used pickup truck and a leased minivan. You know, because that's what I like driving and what's practical for us, right? So, um, again, if, if you're listening to this and being like, you know, George and Ari are already successful, so it's really easy to say this. It, it it's not. It, it just doesn't. It, yeah, that, that's an excuse. And I and I like and I'll I'll own this too. Um, this year, more than ever, I've learned success is really a state of mind. Like really, really, really a state of mind. Like, you know, like the beginning of this year, like we, liquid you know, millionaire. And then the world happens, right? We lost two companies. We lost multiple six figures. And then I looked at him. I was like, I took PPP. I took here. I'm like, it's free money. And we're on a loan. And I used that time. And like every part of me, every part of me was like, what am I going to go sell? What am I going to go sell? What? And I was like, no, that's what got you here. I was like, what should I do? I'm like, I'll launch a podcast. That's a good idea. A non-income generating activity for most people for a long time. But I bought myself space. 
That's what I bought, myself space. And took a really hard look at stuff. And then I even walked away from other ventures that I was involved in. We didn't lose them, but I was like, this is a distraction. This is not helping me get to where I want to go. This is not it. And then I started looking at my life and all around it, my team, what was important. And I was like, I allowed the the vision and everything was working at the time, but I had to make adjustments. And once the world changed, the adjustments were, oh, this is no longer supporting the vision. This is distracting from the vision. And so I basically started over three months ago, four months ago, again, again. And, but the thing was, is I was the happiest I'd ever been. I was like, the problem was I was like looking forward and I was like, why don't I just look down and see the toolbox underneath my feet that I just had to pick one up and I had to pick one up and be like, okay, this is the tool we're using for as long as needed to rebuild a stronger foundation for a vision. And like what that means for us is we're moving. And we cut costs and I got rid of almost everything I own except my clothes, my computer, and then like my gym equipment. Other than that, it's gone and I don't need it. We're moving from California to Montana. Like we are going out there. Like I want nature. I want trees. I want space. But I think you hit on something really well that I thought forever sacrifice was time. And I realized all I was sacrificing was life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know. And, 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 and sorry, and one more thought on that, like, and I'm going to be the first one to say it. I was the one to run around, but like, I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family. I'm doing this for my family, but yet my family didn't want it. And then my business partner, Craig from high speed daddy, who I love dearly, we own high speed daddy together. We both looked at each other and he had the same conversation. We had like a come to Jesus talk. And it's like, no, we're doing this for our insecurity and egos. So we can tell all of our friends that we're running a multi-million dollar company and we're working so hard. And then I was like. And then that's where I leaned into design thinking, right? And you know about design thinking. I was like, what might it look like if it was easy? Like, what might it look like if there were no labels? Like, what might it look like if I didn't post on social media that much? What might it look like if I had a really hard stop? And when I started asking myself those questions, there was a period I didn't like the answers because it meant I had to be present. It meant I had to be intimate with my kids, with my wife, with myself, with you, with my friends, which meant I had to be vulnerable and authentic, which meant I had to feel and which meant that I couldn't derive all my worth from the results I created in the business. And that transition's taken some time and it's been a gift, an absolute gift. And like we talked about this in the beginning, like entrepreneurs, like I do, I have nine coaches, nine. I have theta healing, I have EMDR, <laughs> I have plant medicine, I have hypnotherapists and like I'm pursuing I'm using that time to pursue a relationship with myself. And I think it's just a really important topic. And, you know, something we talked about when you say like sacrifice, cause it, it's been easy too. And the, you know, one of the biggest ones are is I don't know what anybody else is fucking doing anymore. I don't follow anybody. I don't subscribe to any of those podcasts. Like someone's like, someone asked me, they're like, who's your competition? I'm like, I actually don't know. I really don't. I really, really don't. And it's, it's been a gift, but I think it's a really, powerful thing for people to hear. And like, just for me to say, like, I, I was scared this year. Like I was legitimately scared. And I think it was my wife who just looked at me and she's like, yeah, okay. Like the other 64 times you've been in this situation and somehow you've always made it. So when are you going to start proving that it has to be so hard and when are you going to make it easy? And I was like, I'm going to go for a walk for a week. I love you. I'll be back. And I really had to reflect on it. And yeah. at the end of the day, what I realized that if I just go back to what made me successful 12 years ago or 11 years ago, and I focus on that and I keep it simple and I show up and add value 
and then I build a relationship with people and then I help those people achieve their results and then they pay me money and all we do is that without the Instagram followers, without all the crazy paid media, without all the like the glitz and the glam that we're going to get there a lot faster than we would have trying to do it the other way. That's right. So, so I just think yeah. it's important because I mean, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, we are. I pretty much started over like two weeks ago, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. So I had, um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm an EMT, right? So I've been a volunteer EMT for a decade now, basically. But over the last, during the pandemic, that I got very, very active. So we went up to our house in the Hudson Valley when things got crazy and we stayed there for the, until like very recently. And uh, we were in this relatively small town. And they had a fire department. So I, I joined up right away. And because it was a small area, um, there were basically like three EMTs for the whole town, including me. And uh, we had pagers on us all the time. So I was on call 24 seven. Uh, it wasn't a huge call volume, but I was on call 24 seven. And two really big differences between working in the city uh, as an EMT and working in the country. Uh, and it's transport time and population size and what that means is that uh, in the city you're transporting patients for three to four minutes maybe so there's not a lot that either can go wrong or wronger really and you don't get to develop too much of a relationship in the country transport times were like usually half an hour and so a lot more happens a lot more can go wrong and you really develop more rapport and also population size you don't see repeat patients in new york city but up at the uh in the country there i had I've had like eight people that I would consider my patient that I'd seen multiple times, you know, and it was awesome. It was the most, it was really exhilarating and thrilling and disruptive sometimes to the family when I didn't have to go to every call, but I kind of had to go to every call, you know, <laughs> and I would, I've always been really good at compartmentalizing uh, in general in my life for better or for worse. Uh, it's obviously like a protective mechanism from my childhood, but I saw it. And not just in this past pandemic, but, but over the years, I've seen some pretty hairy stuff and it never affects me really. I've had, I've, I've had plenty of EMTs who join a squad that I'm on and they see one call and then they're gone and they just, it's not for them. Uh, I love it. I, I love it more than anything I've ever loved in my entire life. And so over the, the months, there were just many, many interesting calls from car accidents to uh, COVID patients to head, head injuries and everything, fires, everything in between. And in August, um, there was a call for a lift assist, 80 year old woman lift assist, which is pretty much the lowest level call an EMT can do. It's literally like, you know, I fall and I can't get up. So somebody fell, can't get up. You show up, check them out, pick them up and leave. Um, and it's about as basic as it gets. So on this particular call, this patient had a, uh, she, she had fallen, her husband was there, he couldn't help her. And she had had, uh, or she, she was undergoing treatment for, for brain cancer. So she was aware, but still kind of a little out of it. And it was a rare situation where I showed up by myself because small town, we just go to the scene, ambulance shows up after, and that didn't happen in this case because it was so basic. So I picked her up, she was fine, and I left. And then it just, coincided with us heading back down to the city to sort of get the kids ready for school. And over the next few weeks, there was five calls to her address for lift assist, which is weird. It's a weird, it's a weird thing to sort of keep happening, you know? 
And it became like a joke because every time it would happen, the my captain and lieutenant would text me and be like, oh, it's your, you know, it's your patient again. Cause I, we have an app that's like a 911 feed. So I get it, even though I wasn't there. And uh, she would ask for me every time they showed up. So I was back up there with my family uh, about a month ago, right? So this, is, this all relates to the, the business change. Um, and there was a call to her address, but this time it was for the husband for uh, facial injuries, said that she had hit him in the face with a phone and was out of control, uh, which means really nothing on a 911 dispatch. It's a weird thing to say, honestly. And I was on, I was getting in my truck to take my son back down to the city for a birthday party. So I text my captain. I'm like, I'm going to come because I think that she wants to see me, but I'm, I can't transport her. So I show up and because it was a, a fight, basically, the state troopers were there, like it's a domestic dispute between an 80 year old and 86 year old. And uh, he was, the husband's fine. And I go up to the bedroom where the, the woman is and um, the other EMT is with her and he's like, look who's here. And she looks at me and she starts crying. And she's like, I was praying that you would come. And, you know, I, 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 I wanted you to come to here. And uh, so the trooper and the other EMT sort of leave. I sit down next to her and it's like this very, it sounds so stupid, but it's like this very dramatic, like, you know, pull off the mask, take off the gloves, you know, and I hold her hand next to the bed. And I'm like, what, you know, we, what are we going to do about this? Like, we can't keep coming to pick you up. What's going on? And she looked at me and she said, um, he's been hurting me. Um, and I was like, and, you know, again, she's in treatment for brain cancer, but she's aware. She knows where she is. She knows who I am. So I was like, okay, tell me more. And she does. And, um, I went and got a trooper and I'm like, look, I've been here before. I'm not saying it happened. There's two sides of every story, but we can't ignore it. You know, so we had to get her out of here and get a social worker involved. So I go back in and I tell her, I'm like, look, we need to get you to the hospital. We're going to get a social worker involved in this. And she had not, and she said, okay, like, so basically I guess those previous calls were like cries for help, you know? And for some reason, because I was the first one to show up that one day, like she, she had attached to me and, uh, we got her out of the house and, and she went to the hospital and I, it felt really good. It was like the most minor, you know, there was nothing medically, like really an issue I've dealt with really serious stuff before. And this was like, this, it just impacted me in a really strong way. I felt really good about it. And then a week later, I was back down in the city and there was another call to her house and it popped up on my phone. And it was uh, a very rare situation where my crew didn't show up to it because everyone was on something else. So an, an, another ambulance company came. So I didn't know what was happening. And all I can see is the feed and it said that she was unresponsive and that it, it basically looked like she died. Mm. And there's no real way for me to find out if she had or not. Mm -hmm. uh, no legal way, which is a weird thing in EMS, but I, I don't have a legal right to find that out. And uh, I'm watching this, like, it's like watching a ticker tape. Like it's about as undescriptive, but also as like thought provoking as possible, right? Like yeah. it, it, the, the things that they tell you are nothing, but could be everything. Yeah. And uh, I got a Voxer message from my COO at that time. Uh, talking about how she was feeling nervous about the state of the business, which is not unusual for her. She was incredible at her job. 
um, but very, very detail oriented and not an entrepreneur. So there have been many situations where I had to like talk her off the ledge and be like, well, no, we're actually doing fine. Revenue's good. Like we're profit and all this stuff. Yeah. And I listened to the message. I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I don't need this. I don't want, this is not what I want. Um, I want to be helping people and I want to be interacting with people and I want to be having impact. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's not this. So, uh, I made the decision the, the, that day to, uh, to shut down the company, shut down the program, get rid of the team. And, uh, and then at some point in that like whole thought process, I was like, you know, I don't need the money necessarily. I was like, but I don't, I won't love the idea of taking this big sort of income hit from what I get from the company, but I'll figure it out. I'll land on my feet. And the next day I, I, I figured that out and came up with, oh yeah, I miss coaching. Yeah. Let me figure out how I can do that again. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I don't want to just keep talking without you sort of interjecting. So we can, we can get into the more details of that, but I want to, when we move, I'm going to go to paramedic school. I want to, I want to get that training. Um, I, again, I, I, I love this work more than anything I've ever done in my life. And it is, it is who I am. I show up as an EMT in a way that I don't think I've ever shown up anywhere else in my life. And, uh, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, in terms of a core sense of self, right. I believe that what I am is a fixer and a maker. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was a lot. No, oh, that was amazing. So do you know what happened to her? Yeah, she's, she, she's okay. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if she's okay now. I got called to her house again last week. Um, and she's, she's getting close to the end, I think, but, uh, it was more in that moment, like not knowing and what had just happened. And so, yeah, so something, uh, in my gut came to me when you were saying that, and I was like, what is business? Like what is entrepreneurship? And like the way that I see it, it's a, it's a tool that we utilize to help us find our worth and find where we want to spend our time. And it's our choice and whether we use it to do that or not. And I think, you know, what happened to me this year was realizing like I was already an influencer once, you know, I walked away from it. I was like, do I really want to do that again? Like, do I really want to be that again? And I was like, I had to come up to a decision of like, do I want to be a husband or a father or do I want to be an influencer? And I'm not saying that they're mutually exclusive, but the way that I come up in, in my world, they are because they're all encompassing for me. They, if I go in, I go all the way in. And so like, I had to really, really take a look at it. And that moment for you was, you know, that space, like that's, this is what's important to me. I feel this. I have to trust my gut and I've yet to have any success in my life that came from being misaligned with what I really wanted and what felt good to me. Every single time I did something that didn't feel good or felt a little off, it always ended up with, you know, some road rash, you know, bump, bruise, car accident. And I honor you and I respect that for you. And it's funny, we've been on similar paths, but I, th I think what you just shared is so I'm like super on the edge of tears right now listening to that because I'm like you, like I spent 12 years of my life in the military, three combat deployments. I've witnessed things that human beings should not have to witness. And I was like, those things didn't help me see that I wanted to be in war or that like it was some superpower that I could do it. It helped me see that I wanted to connect with people and like wear my heart on my sleeve and do what I can to help people. And now I'm just spending my time figuring out what the best path to utilize that is. And then I yeah. automate everything else. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, look, I, I, I believe that I have, uh, I hate to even say this, this, this phrase, but like crack the code, you know, because I, I essentially figured out a way to scale one-on-one -on -one coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I just, there's like seven levels if not more of like depth and understanding and awareness and consciousness and things that you just shared. And even from like an entrepreneurial perspective, but like if I could summarize it at all for anybody, it's you got to create the space to check in and make sure that what you're doing is not only what you want to do, but like what you're supposed to do. And if you don't know what it is you're supposed to do, you should be buying this time back to explore those options. Yeah, there's, um, uh, have you read the book Emergency by Neil Strauss? Mm -hmm. Have you ever talked to Neil? Mm -mm. You should have him. If you can, if you can get him, and I only say that because he's just he's very uh, elusive. But if you can ever get him on your podcast, I've had him on. He's incredible. He had me in tears about my own stuff when, like, I was like, "No, I'm supposed to interview you." Um, that book uh, changed my life in a really strange and wonderful way but the the book emergency basically is that um and neil strauss most people know him he wrote the the game which is yeah. about professional makeup art he's an incredible writer um so basically after 9 11 he started having like panic attacks essentially about like the state of the world and also feeling very um under resourced and underprepared for uh something like that to happen again and basically went on this like quest of skills and uh, stuff. And he became a paramedic. That was one thing. He learned how to fly a plane, which I know how to do. Uh, he learned hand-to-hand -hand combat, which I like, I mean, so uh, handguns, like everything, you know, really to be self-sufficient. Ultimately, um, there's there's a double-edged sword of self-sufficiency, which I'll, I'll touch on in a second. But uh, it's a process. It really is this process of sort of discovering yourself because there's a book uh, called, oh God, oh, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Have you read that? No, I haven't read it. I've heard about it. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's this uh, psychologist, or I think it's psychologist wrote it, but basically what it's about, and this is, these things apply to men and women, but I think that there's particular issues that men have with a lot of this stuff nowadays, honestly, um, essentially that like the previous two generations of men, our generation and the one before us was, was more raised by women than previous generations where it was more common to like go work with your grandfather in the shed, you know, and then go apprentice for your father and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, school teachers all used to, were all men, you know, at the turn of the century. Right. And like, so there, now that's not necessarily the case. And so there's just this idea that, and again, there's, 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 there's merits and not merits to what he's saying, but all that to say, um, I think that uh, men particularly and men entrepreneurs in particular have been set up in this situation where we just, we, we don't have a lot of the tools, I think, necessary, like in us, and we're not given a lot of them and we're not exposed to the experience that will necessarily form those for us. And that's not to say that people haven't been through bad shit. I know that you have, uh, I, I, I have, but I mean, I, I, I led a good life, you know, I had uh, a, a good life growing up. Uh, but I never had this sort of opportunity to really like figure out who I am or what I stand for. Yeah. And that's never more important than as a parent. You know, it's something that I think of now with my kids that like, I, I can't look at 
a specific situation in my childhood and think about values that were being transferred to me. Both of my parents were entrepreneurs and I saw them working and I learned things from that, of course, but like, I can't point to some sort of particular value that everyone stood for in our family. And that's something that I try really hard to impart on my kids. But honestly, for a long time, I didn't know what those were for me. Um, so it's really hard when you get caught up in all this other stuff. And at the same time, you don't have the proper faculties or experience or wherewithal or inner compass again to decide like, this is real and this is not, and this is for me and this is not, this is who I am and it's not. It, 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 it's a really tough situation when you don't have the proper help. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I was just literally in this moment, I was thinking about the intro, like when I record the intro of this podcast and like the first thing that came up to me was all the lessons that are hidden in the words that you've used, like the stories that everything, like I'm just unpacking the story about that woman right now. And it all goes back to that, that's space, space, space. And I've recommended these on the podcast before, but I, I haven't told you, but I, I, I think I have two movies that are required entrepreneurial watches um, for any human being. And it's number one is my octopus teacher. And number two is chasing the present. And I don't want either one. I got to watch them both. Yeah. See, we got book recommendations. We got everything, but to full circle this all the way back and such a beautiful story arc, my friend on, you know, the, the busy work to figure out who we are and then ending with the exploration of who we are and building a business around it. And I think that's something that you masterfully do. And it's something I've learned from you and you've helped me. And we've been on similar journeys. Like we keep each other updated. Obviously we're both doing our own therapy and, you know, biggest lesson here is like starting therapy sooner. But really what it is, it's, I think not even calling it therapy, it's creating an intentional container for exploration of self. That's it. That's what therapy is for me. It's creating an intentional container for exploration of self, whether it's, it's a container so I can get things off my chest and out of my head so I can feel again to sharing my feelings and have somebody, uh, an idea or somebody to bounce them off of to get into this. But like at the end of the day, I feel so cheesy wrapping this, like not even wrapping, but like summarizing like this. But at the end of the day, in everything that we do in business, it's to create efficiencies to buy our time back so we can use that time to be in a relationship with ourselves, Like that's just the way that I've been really focusing on it. And you know, what is so important for people to understand is that everything else that all the things that I think that people often pursue are really ultimately should be strategic byproducts of everything you just said. Yeah. Right. So, so when I made this shift in the business two weeks ago and I announced it on Facebook um, and I did a Facebook live and an email, I got such an outpouring of incredible comments from people and really supportive stuff that I hadn't expected. Uh, to me, this is the thing. Uh, to me, I was like kind of just letting people know the change. You know, it wasn't, that was it. Um, but I have people emailing me and be like, thank you for giving me permission to, you know, do things differently. And, to, and like, it's so bold of you to do this. And I was like, I, okay, I didn't think of it that way, but great, thanks. Uh, and I'm glad that it had that impact in that way, but that wasn't my purpose. Um, and the purpose certainly wasn't to make money and to get people to sign up for something, right? And the purpose was not to get another car or something like, like, so I don't want to be cliche about this, right? But the pursuit of money as an entrepreneur 
is whether you believe that that's it's very easy for people to be like oh it's not about the money but ultimately it really is like scaling is about money mm-hmm. you know let's not kid ourselves like nobody's scaling truly and I, I don't mean to be like pithy about this but they, somebody who says that they're scaling it's not about the impact that they're having if somebody is trying to scale it's because they want to make more money mm-hmm. and that's okay but admit that you know be real about that at least and everything that's sort of happened positively for me with this stuff, right? Like having the impact with clients and yes, making more money from doing this and having more time to be doing the things that I want to do. The impetus for all of this was that I just know at least better, not fully. I know better who I am now, what works for me and what I can do that will sort of fulfill that and make me better at what I do. Right. So in some ways it could be seen as a very, very selfish self-centered pursuit. And I think that's kind of okay because I think that if I make myself better, I'll make the world around me better. Yeah. A thousand percent. And this is actually the the foundation of what success looks like. This is that there's this uh, old white rapper named Brother Ali. I think he's probably like 55 now. He's albino with a red beard and he's a freestyle rapper, but he, he says this one line in one of his songs and he said, he said, uh, I forgot his exact quote, like what he was referencing, but like for me, success is a tightrope and we're riding a unicycle down the middle of it. And it's this like success of self and then, you know, business and everything you're talking about. But like what happened for you and like what I see is like true alignment. You're like, this is what's important to me. These are my values. This is where I'm deriving my worth. This is what I'm going to do. And that becomes magnetic for everybody around us because it's truly enrolling versus convincing. And, and that really is like when you think about the greats and you know, everybody it's, it's the pursuit of them playing their best game aligned to their best self. And then the results come and, and people tend to pay attention to it. And so I honor that. And it's, I think it's really, really the work is being around people and looking at this and like everything I've done has gotten me to the same point where at the end of the day, it's like, look in, go deeper with self, you know, get rid of all the things that don't matter, get rid of all the distractions by the time back so we can find this and, you know, change is the thing that's constant. Right. And so we might as well fall in love with it. And like it, you might be an EMT for a while and then we might end up owning an Island together. I might end up, you know, like Branson and I are going on a flight in two days for my first hour of flight instruction. Like it's, it's like all this stuff that like you don't really know, but when you give yourself the space to explore it, I think like the the easiest way for me to think about is don't allow entrepreneurship or business to become the distraction of you living. Like in that really at the core of everything that it is, like use it to buy yourself time to live and then make sure that you're pulling all these things congruently. And so I love it, man. Well, and, and also protect that, right? Because anything that is... Uh... It's going to get in the way of that is the enemy, right? Totally, totally. I mean, and like, you know, like for everybody listening, I could ask Garb, like, how do you manage your screenshots? How do you manage your, like, he'll give you 85 tools, like in a heartbeat. But I think like really what, what matters more than how you do it is why you do it. And once you understand like why you're doing it, like, why should I not use my inbox or why should I not be distracted all day? Or why should I not have broken communication? It's like, well, so I can do these things that, like I say, I want to do and have an impact and, you know, build myself and explore all of it. And I think it's just such a profound, profound thing. And I still have to close the loop on Voxer because I forgot like 25 minutes ago. That's fine. I, want, I just want to point out something about that too. Because uh, you, you already mentioned this about technology not being the solution, which is good and important. But I want to really drive that home for people. Tools, I usually say technology, but tools amplify habits. 
right? Yes. So if you have good habits, right, if you have good habits, technology is going to make them better. Um, and if you have bad habits, technology can make them so much worse, so much faster. So you want to look at a physical tool. You mentioned a hammer before, right? If you don't know how to swing a hammer, you're going to bust your fingers or you're going to put holes in walls, right? Um, it's not going to, you, you know, you're better off just trying to push the nail in with your hand. Uh, and the same thing with uh, tools like Slack or email or, or a CRM or any of those things, right? You're just going to, you, you need to start with a foundation of doing things the right way. And the right way is the right way for you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And actually, um, while we're while we're in that thread, it is the right way for you. And the one thought I had, and it's a short one, is the grass isn't always greener. Like any tool works, but you just have to figure out like how to make it work in your life and in your world, right? Because you're going to be bombarded with there's better tools and better software and better everything. But the only one that works is the one that you use effectively for you. And I've, right. ma I've made this mistake so many times of jumping ship because like, oh, there's a better one. It's a better feature to never use the features and end up creating more pain and work, like just staying with the simple stuff. And I think what you said is so important, like making sure you know how to use it, but use it for you and design a world in which that tool can be effective, right? Or realizing I don't want to swing a damn hammer. Then don't find another tool, like just find another tool. Right. And so, um, yeah, with that, let's talk about your tool. Cause I forgot to do this earlier. I normally do this earlier, but like you have a pretty interesting way. Cause you don't do inbox, right? You're like, don't email me. Don't email me. Don't email me. So where do you send people? Voxer. Right. So I'm, it's all about Voxer for me. So for those who are not familiar, Voxer is a primarily voice communication tool, not dissimilar to things like WhatsApp or Telegram or Signal or any of those things. Um, but I'm pretty sure it is the only one that does live and recorded. They have a lot of patents on it. So you can start talking on Voxer and the other person can start listening almost immediately, like 0.2 milliseconds later, or you can have it recorded later. So, or listen to it later. Rather. So the coaching that I do right now, first, okay. So first of all, the coaching, uh, I coach exclusively over Voxer. So I work right now, I'm working with 12 really high level entrepreneurs and I'm working them pretty deeply and they're, uh, I don't have a single call on my calendar at all. The, some of them box me three, four times a day for a minute, you know, or two minutes where the really specific sort of micro challenge. I really want to be like the coach in their pocket. But then that same person might send me a 12 minute message on their way home one night and I can listen to that at three or four times speed. So I'm literally time warping. But what's so fascinating about that side of it for me, and I've never been able to experience this as a coach is that you know, like I can, I can hear you breathing right now, you know, George, for example. And so, and the point of me saying that is that there's no situation that we have really realistically where someone's going to just let you talk for 12 minutes. Even if they let you, I can hear you breathing. I'm not just going to talk for 12 minutes. It's weird, mm -hmm. but in a boxer situation, they can, and they can get out things that honestly, they, I don't know if they share this stuff with the therapist because it's such a unique situation. Totally. So I get this content. So it's not just that Voxer is more convenient for me. It is the most effective form of coaching I think I've ever experienced. So uh, so that's it. They get Voxer access. There's no Zoom calls. There's no meetups once a quarter. There's no Facebook group. They get Voxer access to me. That is it, uh, And which I love. So that's the first thing. That's for the coaching. Now, for sales you know, or lead, whatever you want to call it, I, I put out, I put up, I made a, a YouTube video that is under the URL voxwithre.com spell it and voxwithre.com so v-o-x-w-i-t-h-a-r-i.com and i welcome anybody listening to watch the video 
download Voxer and send me a message. Say hello, tell me who you are, tell me what your business is and what your challenge is. And I promise you that I will give you something of value. And if you're not a good fit for me, I'll tell you that too. And if you are, I'll tell you that too. But I've had several people now sign up to work with me as a coach for you know a pretty good investment with less than four minutes of audio exchange. So you don't have to book a 45 minute call two days from now for me to convince you that I'm the right person for you. You can just send me a message. We can have a real conversation uh, and you'll get something valuable out of it. And we may end up working together, we may not, but uh, I find Boxer to be extremely manageable for me. I like listening to audio messages. You know that when I respond with my voice that it is not an assistant, it is not a salesperson, it is me. Uh, and so uh, that's that's the call to action for everything now. And I, I have a couple of courses that will that we sell too, which are you know more for people that are just sort of starting out. But basically, that's it. It's the courses and and my coaching. And I'm not marketing it. Um, it's not on Instagram. I'm not running a Facebook ad. I don't have a funnel for it. Just send me a message. Let's talk. I love it. I already know what I'm going to name that in the intro. So if you're listening to this now, you know what I said in the intro to get you to this point. Um, brother, uh, we'll have to do a round two and a round three and a round four and a round five. Yeah. Uh, we'll do it in person. Um, you know, I'll have a Montana property. You'll have a New York property. We'll, we'll be able to get some nature in our life. Um, any closing words, if you could leave anybody with anything, what would it be? So yeah, my framework is to optimize, automate and outsource right in that order. And I think that that order is so important and I want people to just keep that in mind because it's too easy. It's, it's far too easy to be like, oh, I'm just going to automate this thing. It is way, way, way too easy to say, like, I don't want to deal with this thing. I'm just going to hire somebody to do it and outsource it. But ultimately, if you automate or outsource or both to an inefficient problem, you are making it more efficient, which will eventually come back and haunt you. And you're really disempowering somebody else by having them do that kind of work. So we have to start with optimization and this is the thing optimization requires that you look at how you do what you do now right so we can track that there's all sorts of ways to track our time our money how we do a process and that's important but ultimately you have to be okay with saying there might be a different way of doing this and i won't know that unless i actually look at how i do it now and the the people that i i just cannot work with are the people who say that um you know my way is the best way of doing it i just need more time to do it Right, so always be able to, or be willing rather, to look at how you do what you do and change it if it doesn't work and make it better if it does. I love it, I love it. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna soil any of that. That's a beautiful thought. Make sure you optimize first, automate and outsource. And I really appreciate the, the angle of like, respecting the people that we give our tasks to and working with as a team, not putting them down or, you know, automating things that we should handle on our own. So. I love it, my friend. For everybody listening, watching, thank you for being here. We love you. Remember that relationships will always be the algorithms, and we will see you guys in the next episode. So cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. 
Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.